Hello, everyone. For this episode of the Better Products Podcast, I bring you Neil Bolding from McDermott. Conversation centered on membrane switch technologies. We talk about various performance characteristics of the technology set, as well as well specifically durability, test methods, cleanability, which is a great topic, and the future evolution of membrane switch technology. So without further ado, I bring you Neil from McDermott. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Better Products Podcast. Really excited to have Neil Bolding from Autotype with us. I'll say McDermott, and then I'll let him do his own intro. But uh, Neil, technical manager is your official title, but I'll just say I'll let you give the full intro because when I think back to, at least when I boomeranged back to the family business in 2005 and I started attending trade shows, you were there, and I'm sure you had been attending them a little bit longer than I have, so I'll let you stay the the number of years you've been not only with McDermott, but in the industry. But uh, thanks for being on the podcast. And I guess I'll I'll just a- ask you to introduce yourself. And again, welcome to the podcast, Neil. Thanks, Steve. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yes, it is uh, uh, an interesting time that we uh, certainly live in. Um, the, uh, the company goes by the name now of McDermott Enthone Industrial Solutions. McDermott bought the autotype uh, company, I think it was most probably back in 2005 when you came back in, back along into the industry. Um, but I, I have been working for the company um, and formerly the Autotype uh, company since uh, 1983, believe it or not, uh, but uh, in the United States since the summer of 1986. I came for a couple of years and uh, as they say, the rest is history. Um, I've performed um, supported the company in many uh, applications over the years. Um, most people know me certainly from a technical uh, support role, um, but also uh, done a lot of marketing, um, helped out in sales. I think the only role I haven't done is accounting because clearly I can't count. If I came for two and have been here now 34 years, um, there's no hope for me, is there? I think there's a lot of hope for it. Don't worry about it. You know, and I know that in this conversation, we're going to be talking all things uh, human machine interface, specifically membrane switches. So I'm going to dive right into, you know, into that topic. So in like this full spectrum of HMI options, human machine interface options, which I know McDermott, of course, I've always known McDermott for among other things, uh, being a supplier into this space that we not only use, but several people in our industry use, but, um, you know, I guess when you look at all those various human machine interfaces and all those op- all those options for a brand owner, where does I guess membrane switch technology fall with respect to the others in this grand space that I'll just say the human machine interface technology space? Oh, that's a, in some ways a tough question, isn't it? Um, and we most probably should look at this in, um, from a historical perspective um, and use some of our time. Um, um, from the early days of membrane switches up to some of the latest technology today. Um, a lot of people who are in the um, industry have been ma- sort of manufacturing switches or making membrane switches for, it must be close to 40 years. Um, and um, the autotype films have been around for very close to 35 years, I would say now. So we did come in at the um, early days of the industry and are looking to 
um, whichever forms of technology uh, go in the future to support whatever those uh, um, industries tend to be. Um, you know, we certainly will spend most of our time today, I think, talking about membrane switches, but other forms of switches, such as capacitive touch or um, 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 resistive display um, type of controllers, um, will, I think, uh, all have a role to play in either imparting information to people and being um, uh, machine controls, whether that's those are machines that could be within an industrial um, sphere um, controlling um, in, um, machines themselves, making things, whether it's perhaps in a, in a medical environment, so in a hospital, um, as infusion pumps, or um, a switch to change the um, position of a bed, whether you sit up or lie down. Um, appliances in your house, at home, whether it be in laundry or in the kitchen. Uh, what else can we think of? Um, switches in uh, airplanes, you know, uh, the backs of seats, you still sometimes have displays, don't you, and controls to, to switch uh, <clears throat> what you might be seeing or for lighting. Um, and I'm sure um, there are a, a few other applications that we can all come up with, uh, outdoor applications as well, not just within the indoor environments, um, switches to control oil pumps, um, uh, controls down mines even. Um, we've had our films, uh, part of switches in all these uh, whole host of different environments. Yeah, and we're going to go into, I can't wait, you know, of course, we got some of the future questions. We're going to get into details of why someone would choose a membrane switch in some of those detailed environments. Prior to this call, I was looking at a, a, a couple of research studies online, and it's amazing, too, for a technology as old as membrane switches, they're still forecasted to grow. You know, I just took a peek oh, at it. And it's just it's it's not hockey stick, but it's just it's just slow and steady winning the race, you know, medical, industrial, consumers growing a little bit, but mostly you're in that industrial, medical, aerospace type environments. And um it's just it's just really an interesting technology that is tried and true. And we're gonna talk why it's tried and true in a little bit. But the other comment I wanted to make as you were talking, thinking about uh, the you know, the old membrane switch symposium in SGIA and just how when I came back and rejoined uh, TapeCon, how, you know, that was just an annual thing. And, and people have been in this industry for a long time, continuing to invest in the industry. You know, ASTM standard committees, which I know you've played a role in, and just a lot of people that have contributed to it. So I'm, it's well, just, I it's, it's old new again, right? I mean, yeah, on that note, uh, the first member, uh, ASTM uh, committee meeting on membrane switches was January 1991. So now we're talking ago. Uh, I'll admit I wasn't at the first couple of them, um, but uh, our company was. Um, but since then, you know, regularly um, you had suppliers in the industry, you had companies like yourselves uh, who manufacture the switches. We all came together. In those days, we started off three times a year and then sort of branched twice a year to look at standardized test methods for um, for membrane switches, how do you test? What do you test? And it wasn't so much that we wanted to develop, um, um, shall I say, standard performance requirements, but they were uh, performance requirements from a perspective of how do you test for it? Mm -hmm. uh, so that we all tested in the same way. 
and we got the, the brightest uh, people within the industry from suppliers, not just um, from a film perspective like ourselves, but the ink suppliers, the graphic inks, the conductive inks, the adhesives, um, the um, uh, connectors, the, the dome supplier manufacturers, as well as um, a, a good number of companies who actually made it, as well as um, in those days, um, um, test houses. Uh, got involved. So it was all to try and um, make sure that we were, shall I say, singing from the same hymn book. So yeah. when we compared something or we talked about something, we were talking about the same things and, and we and we could uh, um, uh, have a, a reference point to go from. Yeah, it's nice to have the common vernacular. I mean, let's just dive right into what are some of those performance characteristics? I mean, what, what do people, what are people really looking for and what makes people so confident with membrane switch technologies that the performance is there? Um, well, when you think of uh, a switch, what's it got to do? Um, electrically, it, it's got to uh, send and maybe receive signals. So within that environment, um, uh, you've got um, at least one of the layers that's going to flex, going to move. So um, ensure that all the flexing requirements are going to be there. Um, make sure that uh, whatever ink or whatever it's going to come into contact on the second surface um, doesn't degrade, doesn't break down. Ensure that the um, printed circuit, the electrical circuit that's being printed, um, doesn't decay over time. Um, one of the challenges in the early days, of course, of silver migration. And that will always be there. But through a lot of work and a lot of development and testing, um, the full understanding of what was going on uh, became uh, very evident and, and um, companies could design around it and process to minimize it. So these are all very important things. So the, you know, flexing is obviously a, a key um, part of that. Um, and we could talk about, you know, why did polyester, for example, become the material of choice for the overlay versus polycarbonate, which was what they were originally. So the very early membrane switches were polycarbonate films. Um, as a, as a um, processor, you know yourself, printing polyester is really quite simple. Cutting polyester is really quite simple, you know, being relatively soft. But the two key drawbacks uh, associated with a film like that um, if there's no uh, protective coating on it, it's uh, easily degraded and attacked by solvent, and it doesn't have good flexibility. It will crack very easily. So where polyester came in, it was great for flexibility. And that really is, I think, where some of the durability overall comes into play. Once you've got all the right materials, all the right processing and the right design, the polyester is going to stand up for as long as you want it to stand up. So that's great. Now, the challenge with polyester, of course, is um, it's not that easy to print or get inks to stick to it. So, you know, there had to be some ink development. You have to process it um, uh, with greater care and, and control. It's more difficult to cut because it's hard. So there was a lot of changes required within um, the processing tech, um, companies like yourselves to get it to work. But once you knew what you had to do and you had control of your um, processes, things then fell into place. Um, 
even you know quality standards like ISO 9001. Controlling your manufacturing parameters and, um, is, was all very important to ensuring that polyester became um, routinely um, easy, shall I say, to process. You knew what you had to do. And then from there, with um, um, everything falling into you've got your process under control. You've got um, inks that were developed specifically uh, for polyester materials. You've got um, adhesives that complement it. Every, um, you know from a design parameter what works and what doesn't work now. Um, so these can all come into play. And uh, it's what has allowed, I think, um, uh, membrane switches to become so, uh, so trusted um, uh, within uh, for, for their performance parameters. And ASTM really, I think, um, helped that was a driver of that. And since uh, 1991, when you know, they first, we first started meeting, I still like to think of myself as part of uh, that uh, committee, um, we've published over 34 different test method standards. Um, and I, I think that's tremendous. And as technology changes, now you look more of, let's say, you know, printed electronics is becoming more um, uh, the rigor in the industry. Well, a membrane switch is print electronic, let's face it. And a lot of those standards, well over 20 of those standards we developed for membrane switches can be transitioned very easily over to a bigger print electronics world. So I think that that has been um, a big positive. And also as, in, as technology progresses, we're not back in the wild, wild west entirely. We can fall back upon some of the uh, knowledge that has been developed over all these years. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point too. I never really considered membrane switches being, you know, somewhat of a trailblazer. You know, here are all these emerging printed electronics applications, but maybe the credit isn't really due as much as it should be in terms of the role that membrane switches played over the years to. I guess paved the road for some of the newer innovations that are coming out. That's that's just an interesting point. The other thing I was thinking about, you know, when you were talking was when when my uh, I remember when I came back and boomerang back to our company. One of our membrane switch design engineers has been in the industry for a long time. You talk about these uh, these test standards. He used to have that actuation tester on his desk and just be like. It's just constant, you know, sound, right? And uh, I guess number of actuations, when I think of like tried and true, the actuations is astounding. I mean, you hear like a million plus, I mean, they're getting, and it just seems to climb and climb and climb. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that specifically? Because when I think about just a tried and true membrane switch, uh, just the sheer number of, of actuations that it can withhold over its useful life and what those expectations are astounding. Oh, absolutely. Um, certainly polyester has, you know, it is the bedrock for it. But clearly you've got um, different coatings, um, textures on the surface, um, which also have to be flexible and embossable uh, without cracking and, 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 and degrading. Um, the inks on the backside, the graphic inks are very important. And then, of course, that's typically um, um, supported by metal dome. But not always a metal dome. There, there, there are other technologies that can be used uh, to actuate the switch. Um, but internally, when we are developing a, um, a coating, or, um, whether it's uh, for the hard coats on the surface, the different textures, 
or ink primers on the backside, we typically look to um, test for as many as uh, up to 5 million actuations. So we're not necessarily looking to build in total um, um, overkill, but people, if a switch failed at 50,000, you're going to get complaints. Uh, so, you know, where do you find that balance? Um, so all the different textures that we've developed over the years, you know, the, 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 our two oldest that have been around over 30 years, of course, are the fine and the velvet, which people are very familiar with. And what's nice about that, we don't use any fillers in the hard coats. So you can selectively screen print a clear window on it to clearly see underneath um, um, an LCD or an LED for, um, uh, for your data. Uh, and then on the backside, um, knowing that the graphic inks that have been developed by all the major ink companies will also be suitably flexible enough to withstand that. that that's very, very important. But the inks themselves have changed over the years. Um, you know, solvent uh, screen print inks were sort of the first in the industry. Stick to polycarbonate nicely, change the formulation of ink um, with the primers on the polyesters. They stick nice, nicely to that. But the US was um, the leader in looking to transition from solvent containing inks to UV curable inks. Oh, I want to say most probably back in the early 90s, mid 1990s. Um, so that's been around a while. Um, there were certainly some problems initially with some adhesion, um, resistance to adhesives, but these have all been um, resolved many, many, many years ago. But what does the industry do? You know, even yourself as a company, you look to bring in newer technologies. You know, um, digital technologies are coming into play. Well, and it isn't strictly necessarily with perhaps a digital printing ink, but you may be digitally cutting the films, um, or um, whether that be with a knife or maybe with laser cutting. You know, um, taking all these new technologies in, the films themselves, the coatings have to be able to be complementary to or withstand a lot of what's going on. And whereas our primers have been pretty decent for many years uh, for digital inks, it's becoming so much more widespread in our, in our industry now. Um, I think not just from a design perspective, uh, where companies want different designs, um, which are perhaps more suitable for digital printing versus screen printing, but they're shorter run lengths. So, you know, companies are looking for newer technologies and we've just, uh, in the process of launching our, our third ink primer, brand new ink primer, that's coming out before year end, um, that is much more complementary for um, digital inks, um, principally UV digital inks where it's got greater flexibility, greater adhesion from them. And uh, all the testing we've done over the past year has been very, very positive. And, uh, um, you know, so even within this market space, we're not st standing still. As you said, membrane switches aren't going away. Um, and we've even come up with uh, earlier this year, a new texture uh, um, along the same uh, chemistry lines. We've got the history of knowing where our fine and velvet chemistry is, the durability of it, we've tweaked that to be for a super, a super matte texture now, which we call touch, where if you do need something where you've got multi-finger gesture versus just pushing with one finger, you need that sort of lower coefficient of friction for your fingers to move along. So, um, you know, we're not sitting still uh, on that side of things either. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Uh, the evolution continues, it sounds like, from all fronts. On the uh, durability, I just continuing on the durability, let's shift over to cleanability because especially – you know, with with uh, what's going on in today's day and age, I mean, cleaning schedules have really ramped up with people wanting to keep surfaces clean. We know that membrane switches have been traditionally, you know, very durable to moisture and, and various things like that. So can you speak to about uh, how the technology set really fares with a cleanability schedule or enhanced cleanability? Absolutely. And, and, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there uh, very much, Steve, because um, the hard-coated polyesters that are in the marketplace, you know, they've been durable to many chemicals for um, not just from a cleaning perspective, but if there's something splashed on them. You've got uh, switches that are in um, garages. You, um, you've got switches uh, in hospitals, two totally different environments, switches in restaurants, in the kitchen area, switches at home. They're all going to see different type of chemistries. So whether it's a water-based, a solvent-containing, like IPA, you know, which uh, the SAN is a good cleaner, or, or um, other forms of uh, uh, EPA-recognized uh, virucides, um, we've um, having our first uh, antimicrobial film in the market since 2004. You know, we've had uh, Autotex AM. Um, for the last 16 years, we know and we've tested it to all the hospital cleaners. We've tested it to a whole variety of solvents that might be used in this arena. Um, so to have those hard coats withstand not just the frequency of the cleaning, but the physical abrasion that might go along with whatever cloth or brush you're using is critical. And this is another thing, nice thing with uh, the chemistry of these coatings is you can put additional functional agents within them, um, whether it's to help outdoor life with a UV absorber or whether an antimicrobial agent. Um, and we've, uh, for many years, have been partnered with Microban using their technology. And I think that that's important because to ensure that we meet their specific requirements for the efficacy of the products, to know that you've got um, the um, performance requirements against uh, microbes uh, is, is absolutely critical. Now, of course, these surfaces do need to be cleaned, and we're seeing, as you say, being cleaned more and more frequently. Um, these surfaces are tough to that, and it's important also to know that they work so that the, that the um, surface remains cleaner between cleanings. And I think that's one of the key things there. So the reputation um, to say, yes, we have an antimicrobial functionality and that it's going to be cleanable and durable for the life of the, of the product is, is absolutely critical. Now, that's our reputation on the line. That's your reputation on the line. You know, that's why, um, why companies choose our products and uh, for our reputation and the likes of microband's reputation. Yeah, and uh, abrasion resistance comes to mind too. I mean, it's one thing that it's cleanable, but you never know how someone's how hard someone's gonna put their elbow into it, right? I mean, uh, the well, abrasion resistance is probably pretty tried and true also, right? And to have standardized test methods of how you test for the uh, durability, uh, the cleanability. You know, um, it's not just at the end of the day, putting a, a, a wipe on something, giving it a wipe and say, yep, that looks good. But, you know, we soak the film in these cleaners for 24 hours. 
we uh, we take um, specific weights on uh, uh, bristle brushes over a period of time to try and standardize what cleaning we're doing. And then in the case of the uh, antimicrobial film, sending that off for efficacy testing after it's been cleaned. You know, have these cleaners had any impact on reducing the performance of the product? And so, Neil, if I'm a, if I'm a product engineer and I want to get, is, is there, are there, you know, are these ASTM standards that you're referring to where I'd be able to look them up and in my design, I want to have a specific, you know, characteristic or meet a specific specification. These are all lookupable type uh, testing. Um, yeah, the, um, certainly the solvent testing um, is, is standard and, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of OEMs uh, uh, in the whole variety of industries you know, they tweak them a little bit, you know, that's their want. Um, they're trying to sort of get a leg up on everyone in terms of performance characteristics. But abrasion resistance is, is standard. Um, solvent resistance is standard. And then when you think about um, the performance requirement of a membrane switch, what are you doing to it? Um, you know, um, actuating it. So you mentioned about your engineer having his tester in his office, you know, the uh, pressure, oh, I'm sorry about this. My buddy came to say hello. <laughs> That's, uh, well, be good point. Special guest, special guest has showed up. Yeah, he'll be quiet, I'm, I'm sure. Um, um, the, um, the actuation um, rubber um, on, on the head of it, the pressure that's being used, the frequency of, of actuation, the, um, those have all been standardized. They're very, very important at the end of the day. So to ensure that when, say, as a supplier, manufacturer supplying materials, what we say, you, you can, if need be, replicate, or if your customer, your OEM, chooses to test, they test in the same way and can validate um, what we are, we are all saying. Right. Yeah, that's great. And shifting gears, I guess, you know, we talk, um, in terms of the future, I mean, what do you... Where do you see the membrane switch technology evolving? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of you know a lot of mega trends right now. Um, Industry 4.0. Um, people, of course, are looking at lightweighting a lot of things. Everyone's looking for cost reductions, but um, you know, products are changing. So you know, membranes just have to change with it. So just curious, um, what do you see kind of in the future? What, what what's the future of membrane switches in the technology set? Well, I think we could have a, a, a not just a whole 30 minutes of talking about. Uh, uh, price considerations. So I'll take that off the table. But looking at the newer technologies, I see a lot of these technologies not necessarily strictly replacing uh, membrane switch, but uh, replacing maybe um, uh, dials, knobs, um, controllers, more conventional type of switching. Um, certainly membranes will, or some will go. Um, Touchscreen controllers, um, clearly um, are very good, but they don't work in all environments. They are far more costly and often we have far more, um, um, uh, I say what, um, potential control capabilities than what a membrane does. Membranes are very simple, shall I say very simple switch to do simple functions, you know, whether it be up, down, across, it, 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 it's, um, to simplify, shall I say, the controls. Yeah. Now, where we see some of the newer technologies like capacitive touch come into play, um, 
I don't see them necessarily taking a lot of membrane switch business. I see them taking more conventional slider controls, rotary dials um, in large market applications. Could be um, appliance, um, although very tight for um, cost control, of course, um, but certainly see it in automotive. Um, about, I'm not really aware of any autom uh, any membrane switches as we typically would know them in the cockpit of a car. Mm -hmm. So I see them taking or going into new applications, alternative technologies, certainly some capacitive touch may go into some simple controls, whether it be maybe for, for spas, for hot tubs, um, but uh, that chemical environment is quite tough. Now, um, where we see in some of these newer technologies is um, taking the um, printed circuitry, the silver conductive circuitry, um, and embedding that within, for example, what a lot of people term in-mold electronics or other names associated with that. Yet today, um, the bulk of all of those capacitive touch switches um, still use a print uh, a printed circuit that's been adhered to the backside with an adhesive. So getting that embedded into a one film or two film um, uh, option for full in-mode embed electronics. Um, a, lot, a lot of people are talking about it, a lot of marketing's going on, a lot of testing's going on, and um, which is essential because the last thing you want is uh, a uh, switch like that in your car to um, to cause you problems. I'm just going to put you down, buddy. Okay. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. No, that's that's a great preview, and I appreciate that. Obviously, any one of those we could spend an entire new podcast talking about. But um, it's I, I'd say I'd just summarize by saying you know the evolution is continuing. <laughs> There's plenty of things happening in R and D departments on the material side and oh, wow. in the side. That's and I don't think you're going to see the concept of membrane switch uh, go any anytime soon. So no, and it's interesting. You know, you asked me earlier about uh, you know how long I've been in the industry and everything. Um, and, and some people might say, "Wow, that must be a bit boring for you." But I can honestly say, the last few years, and I can see the next few years, there's a lot of change going along. Technology is um, going at an ever increasing pace. Life is not dull by any means. You know, we might be uh, locked down and uh, by this uh, you know, dreaded virus, but business is not standing still. Technology is not standing still. We, you know, I'm talking to customers on a regular basis about um, films, newer um, applications for films, and new requirements for films, um, and uh, we have never been, shall I say, so busy or working as, well, hard as that's not the word, but as focused as, as we can be to bring in products to market more quickly than we ever have in the past. We've always been very cautious knowing that if we bring out a new film and it doesn't have the performance characteristics and you make switches out of it, you're going to get complaints for years to come. None of us want that. But with the technology we have today, we're making tweaks on 30-year-old technology. And it, it, it's working, and it's working very quickly and working very well. I think that gives us all 
um, a good deal of confidence at bringing out a variant of a product um, on um, technology and materials that we have great confidence in should also give uh, confidence to the supply chain uh, for many years to come. Wow, great. Thanks, Neil. And I appreciate all the insights. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. I'd say, you know, that's a wrap and I really appreciate all the insights and all the sharing. I liked the special guest uh, that you brought along with you. So uh, thanks again for joining the podcast. Neil, any final parting words before we wrap up? Uh, Greatly appreciate it, Steve. I wish everyone who's watching this, uh, um, hope uh, they're enjoying all their holidays and everyone remains safe. And we look forward to uh, a great and changed 2021. Great. Thanks, Neil. Thanks a lot. Been a pleasure. The Better Products Podcast is about educating product teams about new materials and new technologies, all in the custom material converting and printed electronic space to help them design and build better products. So in this podcast, I'm hoping to give wide-ranging conversations with various people throughout the industry and just bring a lot of good content to the table. So if you're interested in learning more about the industry, materials, processes, how to improve uh, products if you're on a product team, or just general know-how of what the heck is going on in this industry, then subscribe to the podcast and get ready for some more really good episodes as I bring in some great guests. Thanks. Thanks.